19. Acts chapter 9 and verse 19. I'm putting a pause for a few weeks on the uh, series that we're doing out of the Gospel of Luke. And I'd like to bring you a message today that I believe brings together two points. Well, our missions conference is coming up. And in the next few weeks, I believe the Lord would have me preach some things to get us ready for that missions conference. Yet at the same time, we have this initiative in this month to emphasize prayer. So today we're bringing both of those things together in this message. The Apostle Paul, as we know, I think a very strong case could be made to say he was the greatest missionary ever. Aside from the Lord Jesus, who of course is at the top of every list. The Apostle Paul... What a missionary. That was his calling. He knew this from verse 15, 16, 17. Ananias had communicated this to him. We begin reading in verse 19. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. Can I just pause there for a moment? Because I think there's something that is worthy of being pointed out. After God saves you, the only reasonable thing to do is start telling others how He saves you. And that's what Paul does. He goes out and tries to tell everybody that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, who saved Him and changed Him. And and people were blown away. Isn't this the same guy that has been killing Christians? And now he's telling us to become Christians? Just because you get saved and are on fire for Christ, and trying to make disciples of others, does not make you immune from verse 23. Anytime a great and effectual door is open, there are many adversaries. And just because you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ faithfully does not mean that everybody's going to like it. You're going to find some resistance. Verse 24. But their laying await was known of Saul... And they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. And I want to preach to you today a message called, Hold the Ropes. By all means, brethren, hold the ropes. Let's bow our heads, let's pray together. Father, help us as we enter into the Word. And Lord, we want to enter in with a ready mind. With ears to hear, please meet with us, speak to us. Father, I pray that you would stir our hearts for prayer, stir our hearts for missions. But Lord, perhaps there's other things going on today that you're dealing with people about. We give you complete control. Just move about. Lord, move move amongst us. Speak to us. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. At a certain point in your life, you're going to find yourself in this basket. We're all going to have a verse 25 day. Eventually, brethren, you're going to be a basket case. (laughs) Paul was. You ever have one of those days where everything just seems to be going wrong and it seems like there's no way out? 
and you find yourself in that basket. We read in this passage that the Jews laid wait to kill Saul. But when you read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you find out it wasn't just the Jews, also the Damascenes, the people of Damascus, the governor, Aretas, had set up a garrison to catch Saul as well. So it was the Jews and the Damascenes, everybody in town, by and large, was against him. And he finds himself in this basket. Eventually, you're going to be in that basket as well. As the disciples put Saul into this basket, they knew by this point that God's hand was on this man. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, he's been preaching, he's seen converts. They probably know what Ananias told Saul. This is probably public knowledge that this guy we're putting in the basket is going to take the word of God to the Gentiles, to kings, right? If you look in verse 15, you can see what the calling was. He's going to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. God is going to use this man. They knew that he was going to be a missionary. To what extent? How far? How wide will God use him? Well, in a big way, but do you think that they saw the full potential of what was in the basket? You think they looked down in that basket and saw dozens of churches started all over Asia? All over Greece and Athens and uh, uh, Achaia and Macedonia and in those areas? Do you think that they saw all of what God was going to do through that one man? They couldn't have seen all of it. Do you think they looked in the basket and went, hey, there's the book of Romans. <laughs> there, there's the book of Ephesians. How many of you have gotten a blessing out of something Paul has written? Do, do you realize that the potential for all of that stuff was in the basket? But Paul, and you know that his name eventually becomes Paul. He becomes known as Paul, but Saul is his name here. Those, those disciples have some, that's a care package. They got to be very careful with that package. Because what's in that basket is precious to countless millions of people. But without the help of some disciples to carefully hold the ropes and lower him down in a basket, out the window, down the wall, we don't have dozens of churches. We don't have the majority, that, almost half of the New Testament maybe we could say. Now that's the Apostle Paul. He very easily could represent missions, being in that basket as a missionary himself. But let's, let's broaden the scope just a little bit. I don't know how God wants to use you, what His design and plan is for you, but, but make no mistake, there is some way that God can work through you to reach somebody else. There, there's some way that God's going to use this young man. There's some way that God can use that younger gentleman sitting back there with the white hair. <laughs> There's some way these, these ladies in the back, God, God can do something through those vessels. They can be meat for the master's use. But none of us, none of us are able to go it alone. Once we get in the basket, we are dependent on somebody else to hold the ropes. And on those days when you are having the worst day imaginable, that is when we need people the most. Hold the ropes. When you are a basket case, you need somebody holding those ropes. So let's think of it today like this from verse 25. I think our entire sermon will come from that verse. 
in the basket, there's something, in this case, someone going out. We, we send missionaries out. We want to train up young men as pastors and send them out to start other churches in South Africa. We have, we have potential in the basket, people going out. But again, broaden our scope. Some of you will go out tomorrow to work. Some of you will go to school. There are people going. But then there are also people staying behind. As we send missionaries and pastors out, then there are other people. In verse 25, Paul's going out the window down the wall and off to his next stop. But there are disciples in that room holding the rope. You know who that is? That's the local church. We're going to send people out, but you have a church family hidden away in the darkness of an upper room holding the rope, helping you get through your basket case moment, helping you get from here to there. And without people willing to hold the rope for other people, we're not going to make it. The enemy will surely overtake us. What's that rope? There's a basket with all that potential in it. And then there's people staying behind saying, I'll hold the rope. What's the rope? That connection that we always have, no matter where we're at, is prayer. That rope that we have to hold on to is praying for one another. As you go out, I'll hang back in my prayer closet and pray. And I'll help you get through this tough time and make sure you get from here to there safely in the will of God. And then don't worry, the tides will turn. Eventually it will go the other way and you'll be in the basket and somebody else, the church will hang back and be praying for you. So I want to preach about holding the rope. But remember today, that rope is the prayer that we have one for another. First thing I want to say about this rope, holding a rope, and thank God this is true, fame is not required. Fame is not required. In verse 25, it says the disciples took him. What are the names of those disciples? At best, we can make one guess and say Ananias was maybe one of them. That's the only name we have from the entire chapter. Besides that, and we don't even know if he was in the upper room letting Paul down that evening. We do not know the names of these disciples that faithfully held that rope. That shows me that you don't have to have a big name to call upon Jesus' name. We don't go to God in our name anyway. It doesn't matter what our name is. We go to, God, we go to the Father in Jesus' name. Jesus taught us to pray like this. He said, when you pray, enter into thy closet, shut the door, and talk to thy Father in secret. For the Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. The Father, oh, thank God for this. When I enter in, he's not impressed by my name badge. He doesn't care what I've done out there for others and how many churches to start. None of that matters. I go in. One thing matters. How tightly do I want to hold that rope? I don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to enter in before the Father with just the right words. You just have to enter in and say, Father, I got a rope. I don't. I'm not a rope-holding expert, but I'll hold it the best way I know how. If I have to, I'll wrap it around myself and tie a knot so that it doesn't let go. But, Father, I'm, I, the best way I know how, I'm going to hold this rope. And your fame won't help you there. Your reputation amongst people of the world means nothing in the prayer closet. The Father just wants people that are genuine. He wants people that will worship in spirit and in truth and go into that prayer closet, grab that rope, and just say, Father, I'm not letting go. I'm going to hold on to that rope. 
A couple years ago when we were back on our furlough, Christina was approached in our home church in Pensacola by a lady, and to be honest, to this day, I still don't know her name. But she said, Mrs. Flick, you, you probably don't know me, but about 20 years ago, your husband visited our church in Michigan, which Florida's on the bottom of America, Michigan's at the very top. Her, her dad was a man named Herbert Noe, a very well-known pastor. Very, God, God used him in great ways. I got to meet that man just before he died. I was there for a few hours in that church. I spoke just briefly. I preached a little bit and then, then left. I never met this lady and her daughter, but her daughter was very young at the time. Now, 20 years later, that lady finds Christina and says, just wanted you to know, when your husband came through 20 years ago in our church there, Brother Noe's, he made an impression on myself and my daughter. We have been praying for you every day for 20 years. To this day, I still don't know their names. I know that they are the family of Brother Noe. It doesn't matter if I know their names or not. I know somebody's holding that rope. I know somebody's holding it. I don't care what their names are. As Paul's going down the wall, does it matter what the names are of the people holding the rope? Does it matter how famous they are? Not when you're holding the rope. It doesn't make any difference at all. I went to a different church in Idaho, and a young lady came up to me. Her name was Amber. Her maiden name is Amber Wells. I, I can't remember what her married name is now. I had preached a couple of times already in the church, and it was a missions conference, and a couple days into it, she came over, like you'll see here in a few weeks for us, we set up a presentation table, and as the missionary, I stand by the table and greet people and talk to people about the, uh, the ministry here. She came over and said, Brother Flick, you, you probably don't know me, but you might know my family. Uh, Brother Chad Wells, I, I believe was her father's name, said, she said, I, ra I was raised in Papua New Guinea, so I doubt we've ever met. But I just want you to know that since you got to Malawi back in 2002, every month I write a letter, a report letter, so people can pray for the ministry. I send it out to all, all of my supporters. She said, my dad got your letter every month, and he would read it to every church that he had started in Papua New Guinea. I don't know how many, dozens. She said, all of those Papua New Guinean Christians have been praying for you now for over 20 years. I don't know one of their names. They probably don't have fancy clothes. They probably don't drive nice cars. Nobody else in the world probably knows nor even cares who they are. But when they, stop in, uh, when they step into the prayer closet, close the door, and they hold the rope, none of that matters. They're over there right now holding that rope. They're holding that rope. Even right now. I get a text message about once a month from a lady who is, I figured it up, she's 78. I don't remember meeting her. Have we met Joanne in, in Marysville, California? She's, she talks as if she knows me, but I, I don't know Marianne, or uh, um, I don't know Joanne. Marysville, California, she writes me about once a month, I keep up with your prayer letters, when's the next time you're coming to visit, da, da, da. She's, she's, she knows a lot of you by name. Who can I pray for? And your name goes out. You got somebody on the other side of the world praying for you. You don't know who she is. 
some 78-year-old woman on a tight budget gives all she can to missions and just prays and prays and prays and prays and prays. About once a month, I get a little three-by-five index card. And on that card is a list of names, dates, and times. And it'll be a list of ladies. The ladies in this church, Shady Acres Baptist Church in, in Houston, Texas. That the ladies in that church, they, get a, they, they support, I think, 200 missionaries. They're only about 300 members. They give a million dollars a year to missions. Just 300 people. Those people give sometimes 75% of their income just to missions. They love missions. They love the gospel. They love you because they're praying for you. I get those cards, and it's a list of ladies' names that I don't know. I don't know them. But on that card is the name and the date and the time that they prayed for me. You don't have to be famous. You just have to hold a rope. No one even needs to know you're doing it. You don't, you don't have to come out of the prayer closet and even tell the person. I, I'm not saying it's bad to do that because it can be very encouraging to know that people are holding the rope. But you don't have to to be effective. You just have to step in and hold the rope. Let me tell you something else about this verse. In verse 25, the disciples are unnamed. Hence I say fame is not required. But then the second thing I want to say when it comes to holding a rope, one thing that is required is a fervent effort. A fervent effort. It says the disciples took him by night, let him down, let him down by the wall in a basket. That couldn't have been easy. Now, history tells us Paul was a small guy, forehead bald, kind of puny, so he didn't weigh that much, thank God. <laughs> but any human being that goes in a basket and you're lowering him down, that can't be an easy job. If you're going to lower a man down, that's going to take a serious effort. You can't take that lighthearted, half-hearted. You, you can't have one hand on the rope and the other hand on your, on your phone checking your messages. <laughs> if you're going to let the man down, this is the only time you should let your brother down. <laughs> let him down biblically. <laughs> and by the way, slowly. <laughs> you can let him down, <laughs> but we're trying to avoid that. A fervent effort. What did James say? An, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It makes a difference. It makes a difference. Watch this. If you're in the basket, if you're in the basket, how many people do you want holding the rope? If you're in the basket. Put yourself in the basket. Mr. and Mrs. Basket Case, put yourself in the basket. God wants to get you through this tough time so that He can use you to reach others for Christ. You're in the basket. Wouldn't it be nice to know that you got 20, 30, 50, 80 people up there holding the rope? Now, now I'll tell you this. It'd be nice if, if you got 80 people holding the rope, but, but what if they're not serious? Then it doesn't matter, does it? You, you want, you'd rather have eight people that are serious than 80 people that are not paying attention. Let's walk through the evening. They're doing it at night. Do you see that in verse 25? They took him by night. 
I am going to assume that there were no candles or lanterns being used because they're trying to go undetected. You light that candle and all of a sudden attention is drawn to your window. So, so they're in complete darkness. Secondly, I'm going to assume that soldiers are patrolling. Why? Because we read in 2 Corinthians that the governor, Aretas, had set up a garrison to catch Paul. There are probably constant patrols going about. Not to mention the accidental passerby who, out for a midnight stroll, looking at the stars, somebody might see, hey, there's a basket by the wall. And then go tell somebody, that, that looks a little dodgy. <laughs> then you've got to deal with that. Furthermore, it's in the middle of the night. They've got to be a little bit tired. Do you see how everything is against them? This is the most inconvenient way to get it done. But it's the only way to get it done. And when it is the most difficult, it is usually the most necessary. We've got to hold these robes. Especially when everything is stacked against us. Is this a good option? No, but it's the only option. Can't we do something else? Haven't you, ever, haven't you ever had somebody come and say, can I help you out? And you say, there's nothing you can do but pray. Sometimes that's all that they can do is just hold that rope. Hold that rope. If you were in the basket, how much effort do you want those people holding the ropes to put into holding the rope? Wouldn't it be nice to know that they're up there with all their might. Watch this now. Watch this. They're not at the window holding the rope. Right? They're not at the window holding the rope. Because if you do that, you're going out the window too. Eutychus, you're going to fall out the window. You don't go to the window to hold the rope. What does this tell me? You, you, if you're going to do this smartly, that's not like I've ever done this. I'm not a professional rope holder, but... I, but you, you get as far away from the window and then you anchor yourself. Sorry for you, those you can't see. You anchor yourself, right? You, you lean back. You, you're, there's some distance made. The guy in the basket cannot see the effort you're putting in. He can't see it. He's just depending on you to make a fervent effort. A few years ago when we got to visit India, I was not very healthy. I, I'm constantly dealing with health problems back in those days. and yeah, That happens. I was sick one night and I, I saw the headlights to Vimal's vehicle. Him and Botman come back something like I don't know, 12 midnight or 1 in the morning, something like that. I thought, wow, that's an odd time to be coming back. And I asked him the next day, I said, what, what, why were you guys out so late? He said, Pastor, this is the only time we can go for prayer meetings when it's safe, because there the Hindu extremists will persecute and beat a lot of those pastors. You could see the bruises on their face where they had been beaten the week before for preaching in their church. They would, beat, they would break into their churches, beat the pastor up in front of the uh, members so that they wouldn't gather again, but they would continue to gather. And, and in order to encourage one another, they would get together at 10 or 11 o'clock at night for a prayer meeting up in the mountains and pray for two or three hours. It's not convenient. You're working undercover. Others are looking for you. Man, but you got to have that. 
if you're not going to hold the ropes, then all of those Christians, all of those church members, what good are you to them? The way that we're going to overcome is by holding those ropes. When we get messages from Fricky and Frickalina, and you understand who I mean by that, and say we, we're, in, we're in danger and they're constantly patrolling and looking for us, my, my heart begins to break because I love them, I know them, I, I train them, and now I'm, what can I do? My instinct is to run over there and, and shield that, but that's not how it works. All I can do is, is hunker down and anchor myself and get dug in real deep and say, okay, nothing's going to move me from this position. I can, I can maybe, you can't even holler out the window, can you? And say, hey, Paul, I got you. You can't do that because you would alert everybody. You want to, but you can't. You just have to keep praying and say, God, wrap your arms around them. Hold them up, God. Hold them up. I want somebody holding the rope for me. I don't care if you're famous as long as you're fervent. That'll get the job done. Listen, I don't want somebody that's going to hold the rope for five minutes and then let go for 30 minutes and then come back when they feel like it. I need somebody that's going to hold the rope. Fervency equals consistency. Right? Those two things go together. If you're, if you're going to hang on for one minute and then let go and grab on, and like, I'm going to be herky-jerky up and down the wall. Can't have that. Hold the rope. And then one last thing in verse 25. The disciples took him by night. They did it by night. Now, I've already pointed this out to a certain extent, but let me lean into it a little bit more. Saul could not see the disciples in the upper room, nor could the disciples in the upper room see Saul. Correct? They couldn't see each other. They're not doing it by sight. They're doing it by faith. Fame is not required. We need fervency, a fervent effort. And then lastly, I'm going to say holding the rope takes faith. Of all the things we do in the Christian life, this might be the one thing that requires the most faith, and that is prayer. Jesus gave a parable in Luke 18 about a widow going to a judge. Remember that? The unjust judge. And kept pestering him, pestering him, please help me, please help me. And finally the judge says, okay, enough, I'll help. And Jesus said, if that unjust judge will help, how much more, right? We've been studying this in, in Sunday mornings. How much more would your father speedily come? But then Jesus ends that parable by saying this. When the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth? At the end of that parable, you know what? At the heart of it, Jesus said the problem with it, the reason that men do not continually pray. The beginning of that parable is men ought always to pray and not to faint. And the parable ends by saying, when I come back, am I going to find faith? Why do men hold the rope and then let go? Hold the rope and then let go. There's a faith problem. It's a faith problem. Watch this now. You need faith that prayer works. You need faith in God's promise that prayer makes a difference. You need faith in the, in the promises of God. Number two, you need faith in the project. 
You need faith in the promises. You need faith in the project that whoever's in the, bu- whoever's in the basket, whatever missionary we're praying for, that, that goal, that project, that, that commission of taking the gospel out, that's worth praying for. If I don't think what is in the basket is important, why, why hold on so much? But that's incredibly important. I need faith in the promises. I need faith in the project. I need faith in the prospect. I need faith in the person in the basket. Watch this now. If, if you are not a person, how can I say it? If your yay is not yay, and, and we don't think that you're going to take fulfilling the will of God seriously, if, if we are afraid that we're going to lower you to the ground, and instead of you running off to do the will of God, you run off to do the will of the flesh... I'm not sure we want to invest a lot of time and effort into that. But if I know, if we know this brother, this sister, they're faithful, they love the Lord, they're going to do their utmost. When they hit the ground, they'll hit the ground running. Then I got faith in that person. And I don't mind holding the rope real tight for a person like that. Faith in the promises, the project, the prospect. But then if I can turn it around, the guy, the lady in the basket... They need to have faith in the people. Because I'm not getting in that basket if I, if I don't trust you. No, no, go ahead, Pastor, get in the basket. We got you. We got you. Oh, you got, you got me. Eh? You're going to be there to hold the ropes the whole time? Or just three out of the four weeks in the month? You're going to be there every time? That I, really? Can I trust you? Because I'm not getting in that basket. I'm not going to get very far if you don't hold that rope. I got to know that you are going to do your utmost at holding that rope. I, I don't want to get in the basket and take a chance on you getting distracted while I'm in the basket. You say, well, Brother Mike, don't worry, don't worry. Listen, you're in God's hands. I know that. <laughs> And God put me in your hands. You don't believe it? Ask verse 25. In whose hands was Saul that night? So he's in God's hands. I know that. He knew that. But those disciples played a part in that. Prayer makes a difference. Listen, you you can hop out of your Calvinistic basket right now. And say, well, I'm in the basket, you know, whatever God's will is, that'll happen. Okay, well, then let them, then as they start, they can just let go and say, well, if it's the will of God, he'll land on his feet. <laughs> well, that's not how it works. Your participation, your prayers make a difference. <clears throat> so, preacher, are you saying that if we don't pray for missionaries, that things can go wrong to an extent? Watch this. If they don't hold the rope fervently, faithfully, Paul might still make it to the ground, but he may make it with a few bumps and bruises and broken bones, and he won't, he won't be able to go as far and as fast and do as much. He'd do a whole lot better if people carefully lowered him, slowly, faithfully, patiently, all the way to the ground and got the job done. You're going to have to have faith that that job is getting done even when I don't see it getting done. And the missionary, <clears throat> the brother... <clears throat> Sorry, the brother, the sister, and the basket, they need to know that when they're out of sight, they're not out of mind. 
I've often had this question, and I think it's a good question. Brother Mike, I want to hold the rope, and I want to do a good job of it, but how do I know when to pray for certain things? Because there's so many things to pray for. How do I know what to pray for at this moment? Where should I focus my time? And I'd like to try to give you an answer to that. Because there's no verse of Scripture that tells you exactly how much time to spend praying about every issue. The Bible just says pray without ceasing. There's always something to pray about. So let me try to offer a little advice here. How did the disciples know when to help Paul with the basket? As soon as he went out of the window, they they can no longer see him. Now it all depends on holding the rope. Am I right? They can't see him. They can't see each other. They're going by the tug. You got to wait for the tug. Something's going to tug at your heart. You'll feel the weight of that basket. You'll feel a burden, a, a weight come onto your heart. And you go, wow. Man, I feel, I feel. listen, feel. The Holy Spirit's going to put his thumb down on your heart and say, and just press down and impress upon you to pray for somebody. And sometimes it's very easy, like you read a prayer letter, you hear a prayer letter, and you go, wow, this guy really needs our help. I can feel the weight of that. When somebody comes and says, this and this is going on, I'm a basket case. I feel the weight of that. And then sometimes out of nowhere, something will just grab a hold of your heart. I need to pray for that person. When you feel the tug of the Spirit of God at your heart, hold the rope. Say, how long do I hold the rope? You keep holding it until you don't feel the tug anymore. As soon as Saul gets to the ground and he hops out of the basket, what happens? The load is now lightened. And you feel, oh, okay. We've gotten through that basket case moment on to the next one. How do you know when to pray? How do you know how long to pray? You pray until the tug is gone. You need a lot of faith when you pray. In Genesis chapter 18, we have this story about Abraham negotiating with the Lord. You guys remember that? Why was he negotiating with the Lord? Who was he worried about? Lot. He said, Lord, you told me that you're going to destroy the city of Sodom. What if you find 50 righteous people there? Remember that? Did Abraham have a big burden for the people of Sodom? Not really. Not that we know of, but he was concerned about Lot. Something was pressing on his heart because the Lord had just revealed, I'm going to wipe Sodom out. And he goes, oh, but my, my nephew lives there. Oh, and he felt that tug. And he said, Lord, you mind if I talk to you for a minute? What if you find 50 righteous? The judge of all the earth will do right. You wouldn't wipe it out for 50 righteous. That's a lot of folks. The Lord said, okay, if I find 50 righteous, I won't wipe it out. Abraham starts to go away and he comes back. You know, he does one of those U-turns, whoop, right back in. Lord, hang on just one second. What if you find 45? And he says, okay, 45. Okay, thanks, appreciate it. I've visited Sodom a few times. How about 40? And the Lord says, you got it, man, 40. Thank you. Lord, I hate to be a a past 30, 20. And the Lord says, okay, I'll do it for 20. 
Abraham's walking out the door. He's counting. Man, I don't know 20. Okay, let me try this again. He comes back in. And if you count in Genesis 19, if you count Lot's family, you know how many people are there? Lot plus nine. There's 10. And Abraham comes back in and says, what if you just find 10? Will you spare for 10? The Lord said, yeah, I'll do it for 10. What is Abraham trying to do? He's just trying to slowly, little by little, 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10, little by little, let Lot down the wall, get him safely to the ground and out of Sodom. That's what he's trying to do. You know what happens? While Abraham's tucked away praying, the angels have gone to Sodom Lot tried to put him up for the evening, remember, then they came and beat the door, and then the next day things just break loose, the fire falls, I mean, it's bad. The angels grab hold of Lot and his wife and his girls, and they rush them out of town. Lot's wife didn't make it. Did Lot die? No, he didn't. He made it out safe. You know what you read in Genesis 19? That Abraham, the next day, not knowing what had happened to Lot, he went and stood at the edge of the city where the smoke was going up. And he looked, and the Bible says he saw that everything was destroyed. We never read anywhere that Abraham met Lot again. Lot escaped to another place. Abraham never found out that his prayers worked. But they did. He held that rope. And he held it tight. And he got it down. 50, that's not enough. Tug, tug. 45, okay, 45. Oh, that feels a bit. No, no, that's tug, tug. 40, uh, tug, tug. Oh, 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 10. Okay, all right, that feels better. And then he stepped out of the prayer closet. And God let that righteous man die, not knowing that his prayers had been answered. Imagine getting to paradise and going, Lot. Hey, look at that. Who would have thunk it? You may not know what a difference your prayers are making until you get to the other side. And that's why it takes faith. A lot of faith to say, I don't see the results right now. I feel like I'm failing. Didn't Abraham... Don't you think he felt like a failure when he looked out and the whole thing's destroyed? He thought, yo, if I would have only negotiated down to five. But you got to have faith. God, I did the best I could. I'm holding that rope as tight as I know how. I may not be a professional rope holder. There may be some special knot or special way to, I don't know. But Lord, this is the best way I know. So with all my strength, I'm going to hold that rope. And I'm going to keep holding until Jesus comes. Imagine the pleasant surprises we're going to have one day on the other side of glory to hear the stories where God sits you down and says, okay, now you, you made it over the wall because she prayed. You got to have some faith. I'm begging you, no matter what you do, hold a rope. If you can't do anything else, Maybe you'll never be the one sent out as a missionary. You can be the one faithfully grounded 
in the upper room with the local church, hidden away in the darkness where the world doesn't know you and no one can see you, but you're making a world of difference by holding the rope. At the very least, you can play that part in missions and in changing somebody else's life. Let's all stand, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Pianist will come. Several years ago, I preached this same idea out of this same passage. I've given you a different outline today. But it's the same idea. Hold the ropes. Perhaps, brethren, this is a good time to be reminded. I know some of you have been praying for a long time. For me, my family, for this church. You've been praying for others. I, I know it. Take it as an encouragement today. Don't let go of the rope. Please. Can you feel the tug? You know when you're really going to start feeling the tug is when you start praying for somebody else that's in the basket. Start praying for someone else. I'm not saying don't pray for yourself, but learn how to feel that burden for others. God, use me as a prayer warrior. <clears throat> Say, when do you let go of the rope? When that person gets to the ground and not before. And if it takes all night, then it takes all night. But once you get into that project, you can't get out. We got missionaries we support in various countries. Folks, I know you may not see them all the time. Some of them you've never seen, right? Hold that rope. Some of you are in the basket right now. I know it. I just want you to know I'm holding that rope as tightly as I know how. Listen, if you're in the basket and it's pretty heavy, maybe you need to ask some people to hold the rope. Go to some people you trust and say, I know you can hold, hold a rope. Please hold my rope. I'm going over this wall and it's scary. I'd be honored if somebody asked me to hold their rope. That they trusted me to do that. That's an honor. I'm going to close in just a minute. Some have taken a knee to pray. Give them a moment as well.
as I close, I, I want to say this. If you're here today and you've never been saved, your eternity is in that basket. <clears throat> and as best we know how, we are holding your rope. Sinner friend, we're, we're holding your rope, trying to gently get you into the kingdom of God. And we will feel that tug for your soul until the day you accept Christ as your Savior. We want to pray you safely into the kingdom. So if you're here and you've never been saved, I'm going to pray for you now. W would you do me the honor of finding me just after the service and say, Pastor, thank you for holding my ropes. It's time for me now. I'm, I'm there. I'm ready to make this decision to get out of the basket of sin and into the, into the arms of my Savior. If you want to get saved, you find me. I'll be happy to help you with it. Father, we come to you. And we thank you, Lord, that all the way up in heaven today, we know the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are holding our ropes. And although we don't see you, we take it by faith that you make intercession, Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit intercedes. We, we trust that. Father, help us as a church to do what we can to pray for our missionaries, to pray for each other. Lord, give us strong spiritual hands to faithfully, tucked away in the upper room, just keep praying and praying and praying. Lord, I want to pray for those that might be here and are unsaved. Might this be the day, Lord, that they get out of that basket of sin and get into salvation. Please, Father, please work as only you can. Lord, we love you. And we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for being so faithful to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Folks, thank you for being here. Lord willing, we'll see you tonight, 6 o'clock, Bible school. Keep holding those ropes.